glad that you're here. We're continuing our series on the parables, and we'll be looking at a parable today out of Matthew chapter 20. But before I do that, I don't know about you, but being a parent has made me realize this one thing. Kids don't make any sense. Any parents? If you're a parent, you might agree. But here's what happens in my house sometimes. I have two toddlers and a seven-month-old. And so my toddlers, they've graduated from certain toys, like baby toys, like teethers or stacking rings, things that babies play with, right? But now that we are bringing them out for my daughter Penny, who's seven-month-old, the teethers and the stacking toys have become the most desirable toy in the world for them, not because they need it, but because someone else has it. And what my kids have taught me is something that I deal with as well. There are things in life that I don't actually need, but I want because other people have them. And it's not just my kids, it's not just me. You and I, all of us have probably faced this at one point in our lives. You might be facing it this morning. We all have a desire for things in life, not because we actually need it, but because someone else has it. That car, that job, that hair, that's me, that teeth. We all desire things that other people have. And in the parable that we're going to look at today, Jesus shows us why and how that can get in the way of us loving one another and loving God as well. So we're going to be diving in in Matthew chapter 20, uh, verse 1 to 7 is where we'll start. And here's what it says. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them into his vineyard. About 9 in the morning he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. He told them, you also go and work in my vineyard, and I will pay you whatever is right. He went out again about noon, and again about three in the afternoon, and did the same thing. About five in the afternoon, he went out and found still others standing around. He asked them, why have you been standing here all day long doing nothing? Because no one has hired us, they answered. He said to them, you also go and work in my vineyard. The first thing that Jesus says as he kicks off this story is that the kingdom of heaven is like. This parable, this story, is to help us understand how God's kingdom works. And as we hear this story, we've got to be prepared to understand that God's kingdom is oftentimes called the upside-down kingdom. It goes against the kingdoms that we find ourselves in, the culture that we find ourselves in. And he starts off by saying the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner. And this landowner, he goes out. 9 a.m. and he hires day laborers. And he pays them, he tells them that he would pay them one denarius for the day. Now, day laborers at the time, uh, they were on the first step of the economic ladder in the first century. These were people that were standing on the streets hoping that someone would hire them. They were just trying to survive daily. They were trying to find work wherever Possible, And it was kind of cutthroat at the, time, at the same time. I remember growing up in New York and we would see day laborers on the streets and there would be groups of 20 to 50 of them. And then as soon as a car dries up, they would all cover over the car, hovering around it, hoping, some of them would even try to get in, hoping that they would get hired on the job. These were people that probably didn't have status in the country, probably had some sort of a record. They weren't able to get any other job, so they would be on the streets hoping that someone would pick them up and offer them some type of work. And this is what's happening in the scene as this landowner goes out trying to find day laborers. And it was cutthroat. They would all be trying to find jobs on these massive estates of the time and vineyards at the time. And so this man goes out and hires one group and then another group and then another group and then another group. 
that one of the details that Jesus' audience would have known about vineyards as they would have seen them is that you only had a few days to collect the grapes from the vineyard. And so this man had a need so much so that he goes out and he hires multiple groups of people. So to summarize, Jesus starts off by saying, the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who goes out and hires helpless day laborers to work on his vineyard. What Jesus is communicating as he tells us the story, that in God's kingdom, you and I are accepted before you and I ever achieve anything. And that's what happens in the case of these day laborers. The owner doesn't go to these laborers and ask them, hey, let me see your resume. Let me see your work history. Let me see how well you're able to pick grapes in my vineyard. He doesn't ask them any of these questions. There's no audition process for these guys. They're accepted into the vineyard simply and solely based on the landowner's choosing. This is how God's kingdom works. Think about the 5 p.m. crew. So he goes out at 9, at 12, at 3, and then at 5 p.m. These guys are still standing outside at 5 p.m. That means no one wanted them. They're probably the ones that were a little out of shape. They've never worked before. They're trying to get their foot through the door of the day laborer industry. They're hoping that someone would hire them. And this guy goes, this landowner goes and asks them at 5 p.m., why are you still out here? And they say, because no one would hire us. And he says, you're hired. They go from being unproductive to productive and having a purpose. This is what God does with each and every one of us. This is what his kingdom is like. We don't choose him first. We don't find our way to him first. We are blessed before we behave. We are accepted before we achieve anything. So Paul writes about in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4 to 5, for he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. He chose us before the foundations of the earth. My wife and I, one of the shows that we love watching is these audition shows like American Idol or America's Got Talent or The Voice. We love these shows and we go back and oftentimes watch the, the auditions for these. Imagine that you're getting up to audition and before you even perform, one of the judges turns around and says, I choose you. Not based on how well you perform, but because it's my pleasure and my will to choose you. That's what God's kingdom is like. And that's what Jesus is showing as his landowner goes out and he chooses these laborers that were helpless and simply hoping that someone would let them in. Our acceptance has nothing to do with our achievements, but the choosing of God. That's how God's kingdom works. So these men get hired. They're working out in the heat of the day in the Middle East. The first group works an entire day. The other group works half the day. The other group works a quarter of the day. And the last group works just a few hours. And here's what happens. Verse 8. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and going on to the first. The workers who were hired about five in the afternoon came and each received a denarius. So when those came who were hired first, they expected to receive more. So this landowner, at the end of the day, does something so unexpected. He calls his foreman and he says, it's time to pay these guys, but bring out the guys that worked just a few hours, the last group, the out of shape guys, the guys that had never worked before. Bring them out and I'm going to pay them one denarius. And so everyone else is getting ready because logically it makes sense. 
If these guys worked a few hours and gets one denarius, that means all of us will get more money. But they all receive the same amount of money. The ones that worked just a few hours received the same amount as the ones that worked all day. In other words, what they received was not based on how many hours they worked or how little hours they worked. What they received was not based on their lack of productivity or their abundance of productivity. What they received was based on the generosity and free giving of the landowner. And this is the second principle of God's kingdom, that God's grace is freely given to each and every single one of us. That's why Paul writes again in Ephesians, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, this not of yourself. It is a gift of God, not by works that any one of us can boast. It has been freely given to us. And so Jesus starts off, says, this is what God's kingdom is like. When I was 18 in New York, I had a run-in with a police officer. You guys got real quiet there for a second. So I was driving, I, you know, I had a problem speeding a lot. Um, I've gotten lots of speeding tickets in my life. Um, a few recently, it's gotten better and better. The ones that are recent are like 10 miles over the speed limit, which basically is not speeding. Anyway, I was 18 years old. I was driving home late one night after hanging out with my girlfriend at the time. And I'm driving down. I got some rap blaring and just driving, cruising. And all of a sudden, I hear the sirens behind me and the lights flashing behind me. And I get a little nervous. So I pull over, got my hands on the steering wheel. The officer comes over and he says, do you know what you were doing? I say, well, was I speeding? And he says, not only were you speeding, he said, I've been watching you and following you for the last few miles. He said, not only were you speeding, but you crossed three red lights. Your car is not registered. And he says, I assume you were speeding and passing all these red lights because you were texting and driving. A lot of judgment in that response right there. You guys are acting like you've never sped before. Maybe you haven't. And so I'm, I'm nervous right now. And I tell this officer I didn't realize I was doing all that. I'm sorry. And here's what you have to understand. In New York, we had the point system. And so every violation would get you a certain amount of points on your driving record. And so crossing a red light would get you get a certain amount of points. Speeding, you get a certain amount of points. If you got 11 points, that means your driver's license will be suspended for close to two years. And so all of these violations that I had that night would have taken me from zero points to 18 points in one night. So I would have been through. I would have been done for. And so here I am, I'm sitting in my car, waiting for the officer as he's sitting in his car to come back. You guys know what I'm talking about when you sit there and you wait for the officer. This happened many times, and this is one of the most nervous times. You don't know if they're going to be generous. You don't know if they're going to arrest you. You have no idea what's about to happen. I'm sitting there going, I messed up. It's over for me. My parents are going to kill me. My girlfriend's going to break up with me. I'm basically a criminal because I did all these things. It's over for me. And then the officer comes over to me after a few minutes, and he says, I'm going to let you go with a seatbelt warning. I got what I did not deserve in that moment. What I deserved were tickets upon tickets and 18 points that would have crushed my driver's license. But he gave me what I did not deserve based on his own choosing. And here's what the Bible teaches us, that you and I are lawbreakers. We'll never hit 10 out of 10. 
Even if you kept nine out of the ten commandments, guess what? You're still a lawbreaker because you broke one of them. In other words, at times in life, you and I have the propensity to go above the posted speed limit. We're not wired to follow rules and regulations. We're not wired to be perfect people. That's why Paul writes, he says, this body that I'm stuck in is subject to death. And as he's talking there, he's saying the sins that are caused by our body and our flesh that leans this way, it leads to death. But then he goes on to say, thanks be to God that Jesus has taken on the punishment that we deserved and the death that we should have experienced, he defeats. So just like these day laborers, we're not defined by a few hours of good work or a long day's worth of good works. We're not defined by good days and bad days, but we're defined by the punishment that Jesus took on the cross on our behalf because of his great love and generosity towards us. That is the gospel message. And that's what Jesus is trying to show through this parable. The guys that worked a few hours, the ones that least deserved the one denarius, they received it. And you and I are those guys. You and I are the ones that worked the least, that had nothing to show for, yet his generosity was great towards us. But not only can we relate to the 5 p.m. crew, Jesus is about to show us that all of us can also relate to the 9 a.m. crew. Here's what happens, Matthew 20, verse 11. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. These who were hired last worked only one hour, they said, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. I don't know about you, but I can relate to the 9 a.m. workers and their grumbling. You're going to pay these guys the same amount, and they only worked a few hours. How does this make any sense? I'm a very rational, logical person, and I would go, this makes no sense to me that you would do this. So one group, to sum it up, works all day, one denarius. Another group, half a day, one denarius. One group, quarter of the day, one denarius. One group, a few hours, one denarius. Notice that no one got paid less than the other group. All of them got paid the same amount of money. In other words... Their problem was not that they didn't earn enough money. Their problem was that other people earned the same amount of money doing half the work. And what Jesus is shifting to in this parable here is our struggle with this word, this sin called envy. It's what I talked about with my kids earlier this morning. <clears throat> we struggle with envy. So you mean they got the same thing that I got but half the work? I would love to have what they got. We find ourselves wanting what others have, and that's what envy is at its core. Envy is simply wanting what others have because they have it. They have the friends that I have. They have the job that I want. They have, they have the salary that I want. They have the kids that I want. They have the work-life balance that I want. They have the parents that I want. They have the business that I want. They have the church that I want. They have the body that I want. We all envy things in life. Envy at its core is wanting what other people have. Best-selling author Simon Sinek, he talks about this study, and he says this. They asked a group of people if they would have rather have a $400,000 house on a street where all the other houses were $100,000 or a million-dollar house on a street where all the other houses were $2 million. 
So a $400,000 house, everyone else is at $100,000, or a million-dollar house where everyone else is at $2 million. People chose the $400,000 house even though it was lower in value because they wanted to be better than their neighbors. And this is what psychologists have described as the theory of focusing illusion. This theory suggests that when we compare our lives to others, we often focus on small details and assume that if these small details were different in our lives, then we would be happier people. And this is the problem with envy. My kids don't realize it, but the reason why they are fighting over the stacking rings of a seven-month-old is that they believe that she can't have it, and if they have it, they would feel happier. We're wired intrinsically to feel that way, but why is envy a real problem? Is it really wrong to want things that other people have? Is it really want, wrong to want other things? It's not like we're going out and stealing from people because we want them or murdering people because we want something from them. We simply have desires in life, right? But here's a real problem with envy. Not only does envy make you want things that other people have, it makes you resent them for it. It starts getting in the way of your relationship with these people. Ask yourself this question. Have you ever become upset over someone else's joy? Have you ever s grieved? Even though you really wanted to celebrate them, you were upset over someone else's joy. It might be that envy has crept in to your heart. Or let's flip it the other way. Have you ever become joyful when others are upset? Maybe not overtly, but you see that person that you've been envious of, they get pulled over by the cops and you might smile as you drive by them. It's very subtle. Do you rejoice at other people's failures or falling? Maybe envy has crept in to your life. Envy is difficult to diagnose at times. That's why the first group says, you're going to give them the same amount. But we worked harder. Envy makes you want what other people have. It makes you resent them for it. And it keeps you never being satisfied with your own life. Envy keeps you from enjoying your own life because you're too caught up with everyone else's. If only I can get that bigger house. If only I can get that nicer body, if only I can get that new teeth, if only I can get that, the right amount of friends. If only then, so we pursue and pursue until we're never content. Envy is a poison, slips into our lives and affects their entire being. And envy is tricky because no one goes around saying, I'm an envious person. You don't come up for prayer because you're dealing with envy. One of the reasons is that we just don't think that there's anything wrong with it. What's wrong with wanting something that other people have? I feel like I should have that. So these guys that worked all day are saying, it's logical that we worked a full day and they got the same amount for working a few hours. I wonder if some of the unhappiness you're feeling this morning, some of the grief you're feeling this morning, some of the constant state of just being all over the place emotionally and spiritually, 
of wanting to gossip all the time about certain people, being unhappy with life, unsatisfied with work, unsatisfied with your relationships. I wonder if what's beneath the surface is an envy problem. And so this landowner, he responds to these men. He answered one of them and says this, I am not being unfair to you, friend. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the one who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? And then Jesus looks at the crowd, at his disciples, and says this. So the last will be first, and the first will be last. Worship team, you guys can come on up as I get ready to wrap up. Think about where these day laborers were. The beginning of the story. First step of the economic ladder. No real job, just standing out on the street hoping that someone would hire them. Maybe even no money to get from day to day. Hopeless. And relying on the generosity of this landowner. That's where they were in the morning. Think about where they've gotten to. He pays them what he promised to pay them, yet they found themselves complaining and grumbling because they're so busy looking at what the other person has. Envy causes us to lose perspective on life and lose perspective on what God has already given us. It's one of the other problems of envy that Jesus is exposing. To be caught up in envy is to lose perspective of God's grace and generosity over our own individual lives. But think about this. Jesus goes, starts off by talking about acceptance and grace of this landowner to bring in these workers, multiple groups of them. And then the great equalizer, the gospel, that everyone is paid the same despite how much they worked or how little they worked, but simply based on the generosity of the landowner. He talks about acceptance and generosity, and then he goes into envy. It almost feels like he takes a left turn, but he doesn't. What Jesus is trying to show... is that envy causes us to not find the grace of God, the mercy of God, and the love of God as satisfying as the things in life that we want from other people. That's what he was exposing with these day laborers. They lost perspective on the generosity of this landowner who hired them in their desperate state of being out on the streets. Love this parable because it's the good news. We're in, we're hired, we're accepted into God's kingdom if we receive his invitation. Jesus is trying to show that at times we have become selfish with the generosity that God has given us. To the point that it has affected us because we have not been content with God's generosity towards us. Because we're so busy pursuing the things that everyone else has. Wanting the things that everyone else has. And number two, because we have not been able to extend the same generosity towards others. I worked all day. Why would I want them to be generous? I earned this. Why would I want them to be freely given the same amount? Envy causes us to be opposed to other people and to be opposed to God's grace. That's what this parable is about. It's like my kids having a whole playroom. Are you not satisfied with what you have? That you're chasing after this one thing. It's not even good for you. 
you're not going to even enjoy. You simply chase after it because someone else has it. So here's the question. Should we not want better things in life? Better jobs, better friends, better bodies, better hair like me. Should we not want things in life that other people have? No, it's okay to have these things. It's okay to desire to have certain things that people have. They have that family life. I would love to have that family life. I would love to have parents that they've had. That's an okay prayer for you to, to wish and hope upon. But here's what Jesus is trying to show us. We should rest knowing that what God is doing in our lives right now or at some point in eternity is far greater than what any other person in this world can offer you. That's what we need to rest in. That he's the one that makes us content. He's the one that makes us satisfied. He's the one that makes us fulfilled. Not the things that other people have that we want. There's nothing wrong, there's nothing wrong in wanting other things. There is something wrong with trying to find your contentment in those things and denying the grace and generosity that God has given to you. Some of you, God has given a great family life, but you're too caught up with looking at everyone else's family lives. Some of the parents in the room, God has put you in charge of those kids to be good stewards, to take care of them. Stop worrying about what moms are doing on social media. We're too caught up with everything else that we miss out on what God has given us right in front of us. God has given us the most important thing in life. And that is his grace, and that is new life, that is life and purpose that lasts beyond a few short years here on earth, but a future hope where we know that everything will be okay. He has given us the greatest healing, which is the healing and salvation of our souls. At some point, we have to come to a place of just resting in that and finding contentment and peace and purpose in God and not in all the other stuff around us. We're going to take communion together at this time. And that's what communion reminds us of. I invite you to take the elements of communion that's in front of you. If you're watching online, you can grab some bread and some juice. When we gather at the table, we're simply reminding us ourselves of God's generosity and centering ourselves on our communion with him. But not only do we do that, we also center ourselves in knowing. That's what Paul writes in Romans chapter 15, verse 7. Accept one another, accept one another just as Christ has accepted you. So when we sit at the table where Jesus has prepared a seat for us, not based on what you did this week or what you didn't do this week, but based on his free gift, his grace that has been extended to you, that you are justified, that the judge has found you not guilty despite all the charges. That's why we sit and we gather together, but we also remind ourselves that he has done that for the person next to us. Accept one another just as Christ has accepted you. So maybe this morning as you take the elements, you are reminding yourself to not allow envy to get in the way of you and other people 
to get in the way of you and your friends, get in the way of you and your family, get in the way of you and people in the church. The enemy loves the space between me and another child of God. And we've allowed ourselves to create the space between each other. In this moment when we come together at the table, we remind ourselves that all of us have been accepted because of God's great generosity towards us. So this bread that represents his body that was broken for us on the cross, would you take and eat together? And the cup that represents the new covenant says you only worked a few hours, you still get the same amount. You have no work history, you're still included. That's the way that God views as righteous children of God. That's what this cup represents. Let's take and drink together. Let me pray for us. God, we thank you for your great, grand generosity. Thank you for the reminder that we are the 5 p.m. crew on the streets. That no one else wanted. That had nothing to show for ourselves when it came to a holy God. And you chose us because it was your pleasure and your will. We thank you for the reminder that we can also be like the 9 a.m. crew. That take your generosity for granted. They have gotten to a point of losing perspective on what you have done in our own lives. Because we're so caught up with everyone else's. We've been caught up with what everyone else has, not because we need it, but simply because they have it. Will we not allow envy and resentment and jealousy and anger, hatred, get in the way of the finished work of Christ, which has reconciled all, reconciled all of us together back to you. So would we leave from here this morning as a church, as a people, truly understand your grace, truly understand that we did nothing to earn what you've given us, and we go out and extend that same level of grace and generosity to the people around us. We thank you that we are included in your house, that we are chosen, not forsaken. We are defined by who you say we are. It's in your precious name we pray. And everybody said...